Hey, Anna, remember that time Eleanor Roosevelt was America's first first lady? time in the historical podcast i'm your host anna webb and i'm your host amanda webb this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out on all their favorite moments in history hello she's back baby i'm doing okay (laughs) (sighs) i am exhausted i have been on i think five field trips in the (laughs) last five school days um had to clean i had to do a a fish tank in my classroom and i had to clean it out yesterday and i had to like haul buckets of water outside to dump and i think i messed up my shoulder so that's fun so i'm doing great (laughs) oh no but i'm here and i'm doing the podcast we're doing the podcast well would you like a drink update now that we're doing the podcast yes i'm having Like the whitest white girl drink. I'm having a barefoot wine spritzer out of a can. I have those in my fridge and I will be having one <gasps> Did you later. find some? I found the peach ones. Mm, okay, this one is um, raspberry and apricot or Ooh. apricot. I, you know, that's one of those words I feel like I say it different every time. <laughs> that sounds delicious. It's pretty good. Um, I'm not currently having my spritzer because I'm currently having some water. Classic. Classic. I haven't drinking enough water today, so. We're just doing summer upright over here. And let me tell you, it doesn't feel like summer today in yeah. Pennsylvania. It's rough. I cannot believe I have one more week of school. It's frankly insufferable. <laughs> yeah, I. it's really hot today and it was storming this morning. So now it's just muggy. And when it gets muggy in Pittsburgh, it's like a whole different beast. So I am not functioning super well. <laughs> Yeah, it's super hot here, and we're also having our, like, start of summer festival in my town right now, and so Mm -hmm. it's, like, ridiculous that I have this festival all weekend and then have to go back to work. It's, uh, why? Yeah, oh, yeah, because you're like, oh, it's summer now. It's summer now. We're done. It's not. I have one more week of school. (laughs) That's a bummer. And they do it, like, right before Memorial Day, which also feels like, you know, in the the States, also feels like the sort of unofficial beginning of summer. Yes. Um, So that's kind of rough. You kind of get it, like, two weekends in a row, basically. (laughs) Yeah. You get a weird teaser. (laughs) Yeah. I get a day off school for this festival, but then I have to go back to school. Like, what? Yeah. Hello? That's a bummer. (laughs) Anyway. We're here, and this week we're going to talk about Eleanor Roosevelt. Yes. I love this. Um, We have very briefly talked about Eleanor once, and it was during one of our old Pride episodes, our No Homo Sapiens. Um, Classic. Check it out if you haven't yet. (laughs) It's a good time. Um, But I was just thinking about, like, stuff we've done before, and I was like, you know what? I would like to do a full episode on Eleanor Roosevelt because, oh my God, is she a fascinating woman. She is very fascinating. Yeah. I'm excited about this one. So, let's talk about Eleanor Roosevelt. Anna Eleanor Roosevelt, hey, would you look at that, hey. <laughs> is born in Manhattan on October 11th, 1884 to Anna Rebecca Hall and Elliot Roosevelt. 
Um, and pretty early on in her life, she just decides she likes to go by her middle name more. So that's what she goes by. Fair you know? enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so through her father, she is the niece of President Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, a fun thing. That's and gonna, it's Okay, we'll talk about it. Come back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she has two younger brothers, Elliot Jr. and Hall. Um, her, I'm just saying I think some people don't know that Roosevelt is not, it's her maiden name. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. We never, we ne- I never start with with women that get married, married on this podcast. Yeah. I don't start with their married name. Right. Nope. Her, That's she what was saying. born a Roosevelt. Yeah, correct. Yep. Which is fun and cool. We'll um, get there. <laughs> her, her parents are both members of New York High Society, right? So they're very, very wealthy. She's born into a wealthy family. The, her dad are Roosevelt's. And the Halls are also an old New York family. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 old money yeah um she's apparently a very serious child like her aunt nicknamed her granny um which i feel deeply (laughs) oh man um and she also has a really bad relationship with her mother because her mother is like ashamed of her plainness oh come on she's like one of those like i think her mom just didn't like that she wasn't like a kind of ditzy girly girl you know what i mean she was uh lizzie bennett what's wrong with that yes yes that's what i'm saying yeah that's what i'm saying and also i don't get that they talk a lot about how she was a plain child i don't know i think she just well there's this like societal expectation that women were supposed to kind of be these like desirable objects because that made them uh, men wanted to marry women who were not you know opinionated or skilled or you know that was kind of the general societal expectation mm-hmm. and that's I, more what they mean like she's plain she's not going to attract a husband yeah you know but and she she's some... probably not like considered conventionally pretty which is crazy because she's eleanor roosevelt yeah but you know what i mean but there are some like early writings from her like as a preteen where she says like you know, people say this about me, but I don't really care because I think that people should be judged on their character. You know, like, so she right. had that opinion from a young age. Yeah. Um, This was a very interesting thing that I did not know. Um, I'm just going to read this quote straight up. On May 19th, 1887, the two-year-old Eleanor was on board the SS Britannic with her father, mother, and Aunt Tissy when it collided with the White Star Liner SS Celtic. Yeah. She was lowered into a lifeboat and her parents were taking to the Celtic and returned to New York. And she was afraid of the ocean for the rest of her life because of that. From when she was two years old, she was in a boat wreck. That's crazy. I mean, they've got kind of a tough history. I wouldn't say as tough as the Kennedys, but the Roosevelt family also has that kind of like, whoa, that weird stuff happens here. Let's talk a little more about that. Okay, great. Boy, howdy, did Eleanor have a rough time. Yeah. Her mother dies of diphtheria on December 7th, 1892. And then her brother, Elliot Jr., also dies of diphtheria in May of 1893. And then her father, who at this time is in a sanatorium because of his alcoholism, um, uh, jumps out of a window during a fit of delirium tremors. So basically it was alcohol withdrawal. Um, And he survives the fall. But he dies from a seizure because oh, of the because whole of the injuries and, and his withdrawals and everything right. um, on August fourteenth, eighteen ninety four. 
So in the space so of three of years. Yeah. Yeah. 92, 93, 94. 94. That's crazy. She loses her mother, her father, and one of her, her brother. brothers. I. It's not terribly uncommon for like one family member to die of diphtheria and then another to die of diphtheria shortly right. after. That but then makes, yeah. the additional like absolutely wild circumstance is like of okay. her father dying yeah <laughs> okay come on poor thing like oof. yeah um so after her parents die she goes to live with her maternal grandmother um and she also ends up taking like kind of a motherly role for her younger brother because her dad before he died like when he was in the sanitarium was like please look after your brother yeah. so she you know makes sure he gets into a good school and takes care of him while she's growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, there's a lot of stuff that talks about how she was kind of like emotionally neglected as a young child. Like, well, both by I her mean, mother and by her grandmother. Like, they just did, she wasn't that like model girl of high society. And so right. they just didn't care about her very they much. They didn't see value in that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so she's tutored privately as a child, and then she's sent to Allenswood Academy in Wimbledon in England when she's wow. 15. Um, and this is when she starts to kind of find her own space in the world is when she's, right. like, away from New from York her family. high society. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was apparently, like, a really bright student and, and yeah, really thrived smart. there. Yes, she's, she's a very, very smart, smart woman. woman. Um. But then her grandmother makes her come back to America in 1902 to make her social debut, which oh, she does not, she doesn't want to do. Right. Well, because um, she's, you know, a child and is like, I'm not really interested in getting married right now. Thank you right. so much. Because that's um, what it is. Your social yes. debut is saying, I'm ready to be married off. Yeah. Um, on December 14th, at the age of 17, she has her debutante ball at the Wa- Waldorf Astoria. Um and she she hates this coming out into society, which <laughs> we'll come back. <laughs> um, but mostly because uh, she doesn't have very many friends in America anymore. Like her right. friends from when she was a child have all already gone through this process and are out in society and are either married or or um, quote unquote on the market. You know right. what I mean? Um, and she just has disconnected from that. And so she d- really hates it. She doesn't like that whole process. Yeah. But then. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. I'll uh, take a drink. <laughs> also in 1902, she meets, I don't know if it was for the first time or. One of the first re- times yeah. at least. Um, her fifth cousin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, mm-hmm. on a train to Travoli, New York. Um, and after this meeting, they begin a secret romance. Like, they start, like, writing to each other. Yeah. Um, fifth cousin. Fifth cousin, still not great. Certainly not as bad as some other people we talked about. My biggest thing is, like, they have the same last name. Like, they're that related that they They have have the same last name. The same last name and the same incredibly famous relative yeah i don't uh, not my favorite you know i guess it was still pretty common and it was it's it's very early 1900s for prominent families it was pretty normal and 
fifth is is pretty decently removed, but it is still the it's the not same good. Last name. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the same last name. That's like that seems like uh, not I mean, far I enough part. Should... Not far enough part. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you should marry anybody who's who could be considered your cousin. But I, I just. How do you, I don't understand how you just don't get hung up on that. And, you know, I'm sure it wasn't a hang up for her. Because, again, not abnormal. Mm -hmm. But, oh boy. Oh boy. I mean, can't be worse than Victoria and Albert, though. So let's just just leave that one be, I guess. (laughs) Uh, So they get engaged on November 22nd, 1903. And Franklin's mother, Sarah... We'll talk a lot about Sarah. Um, Does not like Eleanor and really does not want them to get married. Uh, But Franklin's pretty determined. He's like, no, I've known for a long time that I want to marry her. I'm going to. Um, But Sarah makes like, sorry, is fifth cousin too distant for you? Like, (laughs) come on. This Um, is like an advantageous marriage from her position, mm -hmm. like financially. So why... Because be, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Because I Sarah mean, I is know why, but it's like you know, could be worse. Yeah. could be worse is all I'm saying. Sarah is incredibly controlling, and Eleanor is a very independent person, and she does right. not like that. Um, so she makes them promise to wait to announce the engagement for a year. Um, basically okay. hoping that if she forces them to wait, they just won't want to be married anymore. Um, and she like even takes Franklin on a cruise that year to try and like to separate keep them, them apart, but it doesn't Ugh, work. They, come on, yeah. So they get married on March 17th, 1905. And the reason that they choose to get married on St. Patrick's Day is because Theodore Roosevelt is going to be in New York for the St. Patrick's Day parade. Of course. And they want him to give her away because her father is dead. Um, So they like planned it for when he would be in town, basically. Um, And then this quote. Uh, when asked for his thoughts on the Roosevelt Roosevelt Union, the president said, "It is a good thing to keep the name in the family." <laughs> is it? Is Blech. it Teddy? Is yeah. it my guy? Yikes! I mean, he still could have done that. You know, like I'm just saying, like FDR would have still kept the name in the family. So like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> she's more closely related to him than Franklin. Yeah, is, I guess though. that's true. He is more distant from. Yeah, like, she's his Still. niece. She's, like, yeah, he's but, one of the only adult men left in her life. But he also has a last name, so, like, yeah. it's still, you know, I just, it's like, come on, a little too much. Yeah. yeah. I hate that whole, mm-hmm. The concept of it is just, mm-hmm. like, a lot. Because now we would say, well, she could have just kept her last name. Yeah, yeah. But that wasn't the case then. Um. So when they get back from their honeymoon, they move into a townhouse that Franklin's mother gives them in Hyde Park, which is connected to her home through Aww. sliding glass doors. Ah. Um, and this is, I, I really liked the way this was put. I think it really just sums up their relationship, the relationship between Sarah and Eleanor. Um, Sarah ran both households in the decade after their marriage. Early on, Roosevelt, Eleanor, uh, had a breakdown in which she explained to Franklin that I did not like to live in a house which was not in any way mine, one that I could, I had nothing done about and which did not represent the way I wanted to live, but little changed. Sarah also sought to control the raising of her grandchildren. Uh, And Eleanor reflected later that Franklin's children were more my mother-in-law's children than they were mine. 
Eleanor's <laughs> eldest son, James, remembered Sarah telling her grandchildren, your mother only bore you. I am more your mother than your mother is. Ew. Ew. She sucked. Ew. Sarah sucked. She's Ew. the worst. This is that thing, you know? Where, yes. Yeah. I'm just not, I'm not going to say it because it just, bleh. but it just. Come on! I well, hate it, this. It hate sucks it. for Eleanor too because, like, her position as a, like a high society woman was that the expectation was that she would get married to a high society man and have a household, have a household, and yeah. run it how she likes, and, and have children and raise. raise them how yeah. she likes. And, and to then immediately that gets taken away from her. move into a place where she has no control over the one thing she's right. taught her whole life she has to do is right. it's it's a bummer. It and sucks. You really have bad. to think she's also kind of already been forced into this society that she wasn't really that. She didn't really in. like it. Yeah, in she the first basically place. got forced into coming out to be married in the first place, and maybe it kind of sounds like this was the kind of the payoff right like oh but i get to have a house like i've always been told mm-hmm. i'll have and with I a person that kids. i love like exactly. you know yeah it's the it's the payoff for being for and then that gets taken too it's like yeah. come on but so it's just gross like don't be this way with your your kids and i'm talking mm-hmm. to sarah now that's gross <laughs> come on um, but there it uh, eleanor uh, also ended up saying sort of later in her life upon reflection that she didn't really like being a mother in the first place. Like, it never really clicked for her. She she mm. didn't have, like, that Well, maternal... I mean, maybe it's because she wasn't being totally allowed to bond with her children. Yes, that's definitely part Just of it. Just a thought. But Just a also, thought. because <laughs> we're going to talk more later about how Eleanor was probably a lesbian, um, she... She also, there's writing of her saying that she, like, never liked having sex with her husband. So I think that just the entire situation was, like, she was just uncomfortable in that position. Sure. But I'm just saying, maybe she would have enjoyed being a mother if she had been allowed to be a mother. More if she could have just been a mother. She doesn't know, actually, what what it's supposed to feel like, so. Um, They end up having six children. Um, Anna, James, uh, their first Franklin, who dies as a baby. I didn't, I couldn't see why, mm-hmm. but it, the, it said like 1909 to 1909. So I just assume it was some early childhood disease mm-hmm. or something. Um, Elliot, and then they have a Franklin Delano Jr. and John. And I also always wonder why they wait, why you wait for like your fourth child to name them after the father. Because then it's like, were you just waiting for the one that had yeah. the right vibe? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Or like um, Andy, where you're renamed. <laughs> oh, no. My older brother. <laughs> that yeah. name had a more my older brother kind of vibe. Oh, yeah, man. I don't know. That's a, I wonder that, too, when there are, like, several children and... Um, and then one that's named after the parent. One of the parents. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know. It's odd. I, I do understand that it was common to... If you lost a child to then name another child the same thing. That yes, was pretty common. That I but, totally get, but they had had a boy before they had the boy that they named Franklin initially. Right, but then they had another, another one, boy in between, and then but they, they didn't named name the, the one next Franklin. One. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Who knows? Um, in 1918, she finds, she's like cleaning out some of Franklin's stuff, and she finds love letters written between. Her social secretary, not his, her social secretary, Lucy Mercer, and Franklin. The betrayal. Yeah. Um, and Franklin was apparently considering divorce, 
but his political advisors and his mother advise him against it. Wouldn't have allowed it. And then, so after this point, their marriage is basically just a a political partnership, and and Mm -hmm. she starts to get way more politically involved after this point, because I think she's reached the point now where she's like, well... My whole life, I was told that this is the type of person I'm supposed to be and uh, none of it's working out for me. And I have all of this knowledge and interest in all of these social topics and, and, and money. politics. And so I'm going to be involved in it. If I have and she has m- the money to do it. And my husband is a politician. And so I'm going to take an and interest in that. He's not going to he's not going to stop her from doing basically anything because she could completely ruin him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even, you know, even after this. And after their the the love match of their marriage kind of runs out, I don't think they ever hate each other. Um, no, but y- she is an active threat to his career. Yeah, yeah. forever because mm-hmm. of that. And yeah. I mean, it's his own fault. But you know, mm-hmm. it is just true. That's how these people think. <laughs> yeah. Um, So Franklin is nominated as the running mate for the Democratic candidate James M. Cox in the 1920 election. So he was running to be vice president. Mm -hmm. Um, They lose this election, but it's the first time that Eleanor gets experience being on the campaign trail. It's a pretty big one for your first campaign trail. Yeah, well, you know, he had he has other offices before this, and then after this, he becomes New York governor. Um, But this is the first like kind of getting to dip their toes in like together of like right that's what i'm saying part though, of that's a campaign. like yeah a pretty big campaign for her to be the first one i mean it's mm-hmm. when you're running for vice president you're you're just on a presidential campaign yeah because they're not really voting for i mean they are voting for you but the person not in the that same they're way that they're for, voting for the president yeah right if they if they want to vote for your guy for president you're gonna be vice president right, right. so <laughs> yeah um Then, in August of 1921, Franklin gets diagnosed with a paralytic illness. It was probably polio. Um, And so Eleanor does a lot of work to nurse him back to health. Like, he he probably would have died if it wasn't for her attention. Like, she spends all her time trying to get him well again. Um, But he does remain permanently paralyzed in his legs because of the illness. Um... And then after he recovers, his mother wants him to retire and just be like a country gentleman, you know? And Eleanor has to actively fight her and be like, he still has it in him to be a major political figure. Like That's so he, interesting for so many reasons. Yeah. But she because was like, he can still, he has what it takes to work his way up the political ladder, even yeah. after his illness. And he, he can do it and you need to let him do it. It's so interesting because, like, first of all, his mother doesn't seem like the type to want him to back off of public life. I think she just so, wanted him to just be a an aristocrat. Well, you know what I mean? Like, it's one of two things, right? It's either number one, my poor baby. Now he's hurt. He needs to be taken care of and doted on forever. Yes. Or number two, and maybe it's a combination of both. But number two. This woman that he's married to has the potential to become more powerful than him. So it's I would very like much to pull- that one. It, right. Because after this, she has to stand in for a lot of his public appearances. Of course. And, and she could be more popular than him. It's, I mean, she becomes her political career popular. from here on 
as, right. it's a as threat. Eleanor, not as Franklin's wife, really yeah. takes off and it's Sarah the, hates it. It's the Princess Diana threat, right? Yes. Will the spouse become more popular than the person who's supposed to be in power? Mm-hmm. And also, I just find it interesting because... You know, Eleanor was so adamant that he could still achieve all of his potential. And you just think about that idea in terms of, like, ableism. And how she was very ahead of her time in saying, like, his career is not over just because he doesn't have the use of his legs. Like, just because he is now technically disabled, Mm -hmm. he can still do everything he was doing before, and there's no reason he shouldn't. All of his biggest political achievements occur after he is paralyzed. Yes, exactly. Exactly. When he he becomes governor of New York and the president through his disability. Yeah. And she And, and it she, doesn't because, really his disability does not necessarily play a role in like his campaigning no, or anything like because that. Because his mind is he, as sharp as it's ever been. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't affect his career at all. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this like very early example of like well not very early, I guess, but pretty early for America in like, you know, someone has to champion Someone has to be a good ally to someone who is um, disabled because we would lose out on so many wonderful people and achievements yeah. if someone isn't like, like what are if you he talking was, about? Imagine if there, he was not president during World War II. Right. And I'm not saying like you have to have an ally to be able to achieve anything. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that people were she's, trying to get him to she's stop. She's a good example of a good ally. Yeah, right, right, yeah. exactly. Of just saying anyway. that, like, he, he has work still to do and you can't let him not do right. it because of this. And he, he, we wouldn't have had this really, like, interesting period of history if if the people in his life were like, well, no, you're disabled now, you can't do that. Yeah. And it's very lucky that we had someone that was like, well, what are you talking about? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he maybe still would have done it anyway, but it sounds to me like his relationship with his mother probably would have stopped him. Yeah, probably. So, you know, it's just interesting to think about. Um, But like we were saying, you know, she she does start to become more independent and she's sort Mm -hmm. of breaking away from the control of Sarah through this period because she has to be more public while he's while he's in recovery right Mm -hmm. um but also sarah's like well fine then you don't need to be in my house anymore and builds her a cottage on the property which she names valkill it's like a dutch word for something waterfall i can't remember um it's like on the stream in their property uh and this becomes the place for her to like conduct her own work and projects and like entertain guests she has, like, troubled youth come and visit for a dinner every year and stuff. She starts doing a lot of work <laughs> it's there. so weird to be yeah. like, you can't live in this house I own anymore. Let me get you a different house. Like, what are you talking yeah, about? I don't know. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, oh, she's so weird. But like I was saying, she starts to stand in for a lot of Franklin's public appearances during this time. Uh, she starts working with the Women's Trade Union League. So it's a lot of her early work, both for women and for unions. She was a huge advocate for unions. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also starts to become uh, more influential in the New York State Democratic Party. Like, she is making connections for Franklin for his right. um, presidential run. 
so she is she's like putting in the work for him to start working his way up as governor and then as and president. You you also have to remember just historically we're in the 1920s now, right? So yes. women women in the US can vote, well, white women in the US can vote now, mm-hmm. which changes the game. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. also interesting. Yes. Um this is this is such a fascinating little thing. In 1924, she campaigns for Alfred E. Smith for re-election as New York governor against her first cousin, Theodore Roosevelt Jr., who is yeah. the Republican candidate. And this is like I, a I'm huge sorry, I'll just, I, I just see that you have typed here Thea for Roosevelt, which oh. just made me laugh. I sure did, huh? <laughs> so sorry to interrupt I you. I didn't even notice it that. It's very funny. Thea for Roosevelt. I didn't even notice that. Anyway. Um, but this is like really messy. They oh, get yeah, their sure. like public um f- fights between them and like he gets really nasty to- towards her and like her niece and her have a huge falling out over this it's like uh, it's a mess it's basically sibling rivalry you yeah know? it's bad and and ineffectiveness he, theodore roosevelt jr loses <laughs> yeah by, like, which a is lot. not great for him but like in a, a big lot. way yeah it's yep. it's rough um in 1927 i'm i I am skipping around a little bit and I also skip a few things because she does a lot of work in her life. So I tried to just pick basically like what I thought were the most important or most interesting stories. Just a long resume. Yeah. Um, In 1927, she and some of her friends buy the Todd Hunter School for Girls and she teaches upper level courses in American literature and history while... They work at that school. And she keeps teaching three days a week while um, Franklin is governor. And then, but once he gets elected as president, she has to leave. So she worked with all the other stuff that she's doing. She worked as a teacher part-time at this preparatory school for girls. Because they have, it's like a finishing school. So they have some like college level and college preparatory courses and stuff. Wouldn't it be wild if they let first ladies keep their day jobs? Like, could yeah. you imagine coming into class and just being taught by, like, Michelle Obama? That'd be like, that's my teacher. Excellent. I would love that. But it'd just be so that's my, interesting. That's my professor, Michelle Obama. <laughs> right. I mean, hey. Professor Obama. How her are you her doing husband today? is, cur- what if it was like, you know, because it would be like, oh, her husband's currently the currently president. Currently president. Right? Like, like, wouldn't that be weird if she was working somewhere while her husband was currently the president? You come in and you're like, how was your weekend? I didn't do much. And she's like, well, she's I like, was. I was in France yeah. negotiating something, you know, like, what are you talking about? Um, in that same year, she also establishes Valkyl Industries. Um, I'm, again, just going to read this quote because I think it says what this is pretty well. Roosevelt and her business partners financed the construction of a small factory to provide supplemental income for local farming families who would make furniture, pewter, and homespun cloth using traditional craft methods. Um, And I mention this mostly because this is like a super early model of some of the subsistence communities that she tries to help establish during like early New Deal initiatives, Mm -hmm. um, which I just thought was really interesting. We're going to talk about one of those communities specifically as we get into the presidency here in a little bit. But I just thought it was interesting that she started that work even before he was in office. Yeah. So, okay, let's let's talk about the presidency. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt is elected president of the United States in 1932. So Eleanor becomes first lady of the United States when Franklin is inaugurated on March 4th, 1933. Um, and when she first takes on this role, she like suffers a period of depression because she knows all the other living first ladies and she knows that they all had to give up on all of their political work when they became first lady. And yeah, she, it was supposed to be like a very apolitical position. Yes. So like, like the queen. My 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 point like like my touch point for this is you know the episode of Parks and Rec when Ben is running for office. Yeah. And Leslie is expected to go to all of these like wives of the candidate yeah. events and they are all the pie like, Mary. Yes. They're <laughs> all just these boring women who are baking pie and talking well, about the their children. All the women are the same. Yes. All the women are exactly the same. Yeah. All they yeah. do is bake pie and talk about their children. And Leslie has her own political career and she refuses to give up on that just because Ben is running. It's very much that exact same right. energy. Like she, her political and her social work are like what she lives for at this point. Yeah. Right. Like that's who, that's who she is. And so she des- decides that, she wants to work on redefining what the position of the first lady is in the first place. She doesn't want does to just she? be a background. And so like, this is what I mean when I say that she was our first, first lady, because when yeah. you think of the first lady now, it's like tradition for the first lady to come in and have an initiative, right? Like right. her project that she works on through. And they work to further the party's interests. Exactly. Yes. It's, it is right. a, it is a program that they decide they want to champion in relation to the party that is in office. Right, right there, the, that party's, you know, Camp, yeah, platform or whatever. Campaign platforms or whatever. And so... Yeah, she really flipped the script. Yes, because she was this already so exist. deeply involved in the Democratic Party, she didn't yeah. see a reason for her to not continue her work right. that she was already doing before she came in. Like, what would be the point? Like, she can't be as political as she was before but she can be socially active right and and her husband has has the most powerful position in the country and if she wants to do good things in the country why shouldn't she have that opportunity she wants to be able to to be in his ear and say like here is the position that people real people in the world are telling you that is important let's shift our stuff to work with that right yeah yeah um so we'll we'll talk more about all of the many things she does as first lady yeah, in a second, but I want to go back and touch on something a little bit. Okay. Um, let's, let's talk about how Eleanor Roosevelt might've been a lesbian. Shall we? <laughs> Great. Or at the very you least bisexual. A, you did a cute little pose when you said, you said, let's talk about lesbians. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I always like, want to talk about lesbians. Core, like, yeah. Um, so during uh, Franklin's presidential campaign, Eleanor meets and becomes very close with the Associated Press reporter, Lorena Hickok. Mm-hmm. Um, she, like, meets her at some point during his campaign as governor and interviews her, and then interviews her again during the presidential campaign, and then basically just ends up traveling with Eleanor through the whole campaign. She, like, kind of becomes her unofficial, like, press person. You know what I mean? Sure. Oh, um, yeah. Like... And they become, you know, to to some historians, best best friends during gal this time. Pals. But gal most pals. people kind of now agree that they like this is they like fall in love, right? While they're doing this right. work, at the uh, very least, they were having a 
an emotional affair. Yes. <laughs> the yeah. very and, least. And, but, and likely yeah. otherwise. Um, right, exactly. During the inauguration, Eleanor is wearing a sapphire ring that Lorena had given her. Ugh, yeah. Um, for the first little bit of the presidency, while Lorena is working in New York and Eleanor is in Washington, Eleanor writes her fif- 10 to 15 page letters daily. Okay, that's too long. Yeah. That's too ma- <laughs> it's too many. Even if I'm in love, I'm not reading 10 to 15 pages. <laughs> like, you have to be kidding me. Front and back single space. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Um, Eventually, Lorena resigns her position because she feels that she can't be um, neutral anymore um, as a journalist. And Eleanor gets her a job as an investigator for one of the New Deal programs. So she like works in the White House. Um, But yeah, uh, there have been a lot of historical conversations around whether or not that they were romantically evolved um in that episode that we did the no homo sapiens i read some stuff from their letters um but it was you know it was it was pretty romantic clear pretty yeah pretty clear um uh, my favorite thing that this always happens with this conversation is um they were lorena was a lesbian known a known lesbian right um and they had a ton of friends who were lesbians. And so people are always like, well, we know that Eleanor was aware of the lesbian <laughs> lifestyle. And I'm always like, yeah, yeah, dog. She'd, she'd heard of it. Yeah. She knew about lesbianism. I read several but had times. She, but had she dabbled? <laughs> had she experimented? Um, yeah. I hate so, when people say that. Experimented? Okay. There are There are a couple of other, like reported like maybe affairs that Eleanor had with a couple of other men like later in the presidency but to me it's like come on I mean on. hey come it's on it's totally possible who's yeah. to say well, she can't have both true right? true um but like clearly Franklin is not no, no um no, no, abstaining no, no. that that no. affair the first one um ended at some point that Franklin was having, but then he ends up having a very long affair with another woman that we'll talk about a little more later. Um, and so, like, it why why would Eleanor not have other romantic partners? You I'm know? sure he at that point expected her to. Let's yeah, be honest. it yeah. seemed like they were really in that kind of place where it was like, "You're gonna do what you're gonna do. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do." And you know, our romantic lives do not matter because we are a good political, political team. Yeah, at this point, they are a great it. political team, and so that's they just are. what they're gonna keep doing. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so media wise, Eleanor obviously is like much more outspoken than the first ladies that came before her. Um, she had, she held 348 press conferences over her husband's 12 year presidency. Cause remember Franklin had a longer presidency than the presidents before him because of war times um they just let him keep doing it which is you know we get it um fair enough honestly yeah like you know it having an election in the middle of a war i think most of us know what that's like yeah (laughs) yeah at this point so it's kind of tough yeah um i'm not saying it's always the right decision but i'm saying in that particular context i totally understand (laughs) um this is my favorite part about her press conferences though she bans male reporters from attending and she does this basically to force newspapers to keep female reporters on staff because yeah those newspapers want somebody to cover the first ladies conferences they're important and, and she says almost, men are not allowed so that forces them to have women on staff and it almost certainly guarantees 
that she's actually going to be able to get her message out there. Yeah. Because female reporters aren't going to be sitting there asking her, like, so how do you have it all? I yeah. Mean, maybe some. Yeah. That, well, that wasn't uninteresting to women at the time. But men are going to ask that in this context. Men are going to ask those kinds of questions 100% mm-hmm. of the time. Whereas um, with female reporters, she's going to get a different experience and actually be able to say a lot of the things she wants to say. Right. And, and you know... These press conferences were a little different than other White House press conferences because she couldn't really go out there and talk about the part, the White House's positions on ABCD or whatever. But she could talk about things that she found important socially and projects she had been working on, which were all important. And so it was like, you know. And she can give her opinion, Mm -hmm. her real opinion on the Mm -hmm. state of the world. Um, she also has a syndicated newspaper column called My Day, which was published six days a week from 1936 until her death in 1962. Six days a week? Uh Uh-huh. It was a, it was like a daily column with the exception of Sunday or whatever. And she basically just wrote about like her, her daily activities, what she did, and then her other like humanitarian concerns. Um, and she I'm also sure the had White like House staff loved that. Yeah, she also had um later she had an adv- advice column as well, which ended up getting like published into a book of stuff. Um, right. Yeah, so media wise, she was much more public than any first lady before. Entirely more public. Yes. <laughs> um, she had a, a radio show as well. Um, right. That's yeah. Um, but then let's talk a little more about a couple of the like projects and work that she did so during franklin's first two terms her major project was an attempt to establish a planned subsistence farming community in arthurdale west virginia Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. um so in august of 1933 she visits mining families in morgantown who had been blacklisted because of union activities which again she's already been a supporter of unions for a long time um because yeah. she thinks that they help to regulate uh, work, which they do. Right. <laughs> um, and she wants to establish a community for these people where they farm and manufacture goods for their own community. Because she idea. believes, like, this is this is um kind of a low-level belief in a lot of the early New Deal initiatives, um, but they couldn't kind of push that so much because they would be um, threatened as socialists. Right. Uh, <laughs> but it, it kind of exists in some of those New Deal programs, but she... Totally was very she believed this is how community should work she wanted like everywhere to be these substance communities um yeah so construction starts in 1934 and the first families move in in june of that same year with the goal to um repay the government over the course of 30 years of work so they can you know be supporting their community and part of their profits go to the government to pay off their community eventually they'd own it themselves um, unfortunately, the community members vote to make this an exclusively white and Christian community. That wow, sucks. Wow, I am shocked. Yeah, uh. but Eleanor, like, had it, planned it to be a more diverse community, but she wants it of to be community run, and so she let them make that decision. Yeah. But after seeing that that was the decision that they made, she was like, okay, well, in the future, I want to be more intentional in making these communities for other groups of people. Right. Um, which, you know, is Sometimes part of her work Sometimes you just got to learn your lesson. I yeah. Um, but she did a lot 
for unions in West Virginia. She absolutely so, did. And she we'll did and that. she did a lot for black Americans too. She was a she we'll did. talk more about her civil oh, rights work. I'm in not a saying bit. Um, I'm not saying that's on her. I'm saying it's right. on the unions of West Virginia that needed that push but weren't also weren't there yet. Yes. So it's a good thing she came in and yes. at least tried. Yeah, because <laughs> she she after they voted for that was like, well there are black miners who are also being treated worse many, by the many yes. companies. Um, yeah. uh, so over the years, the project sl- slowly loses more and more funding. Uh, people think it's too socialist and that it's a waste of time. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of broadly viewed as a, a failure, right? That's what people say. But Eleanor and the people who lived there all see it as a success because course, the families who moved in like this. were all saying, well, this was better than the company towns that we live in, right? Well, it definitely was. And, and if you, Guys, if you don't know about company towns, ugh. just do a little bit of reading because they're really interesting. Yeah. Um, and they're all able to become financially stable and independent again. Because right. of her work, right? Like, the, it gets them back well, on their feet. Well, it's a start. To, it's to, a start. The program, and not just for the people, I mean, in terms of what she wants to accomplish, mm-hmm. you have to start somewhere. It's not always going to be a perfect success the first right. time. Right. And, and, you know, it, it allows those people to re-enter their communities um, free from the company, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. so she's she has helped them get work that is relevant to their community. Which in turn helps the community as a whole. Which is all we right. need. Right? Yeah, like that's exactly. that's the kind of support that people in mining communities need. Yeah. And don't get. That's a completely different rant. I could talk about that yeah, for a long well, time. So we're gonna mining move on. communities right now. <laughs> um she's also a very outspoken supporter of so- the civil rights movement that's stirring in the South, right? Yeah. Um she tries to push her husband to be more supportive, but he ha- he tries to remain more neutral because he wants to maintain support in the South, whatever. Sure. Um, but she she is very outspoken, like, yes. Those people are doing the right thing. Good. Right. Um, uh, after Arthur Dale, when she sees that uh, the, that community voted to stay a white community, she starts looking into other New Deal programs, in the, especially in the southern states, and she sees that they're discriminating against black people. Um, well, they yeah. get a disproportionately small share of the relief money. And so she is one of the only people in in franklin's administration that says that the benefits need to be equally extended to all americans right um how successful is she who's to say but like she somebody had to say it. she doesn't shut up about it so that's you know um i liked this little anecdote um when the black singer marian anderson was denied the use of washington's constitution hall by the daughters of america of the american revolution in 1939 those guys eleanor resigns from the group in protest and arranges another concert on the steps of the lincoln memorial god bless god bless that is something she does all the time right she said i'll do you one better she sees somebody not getting what they need from a group and she says well i'll take care of it she gets petty. Yeah. Which we love. She goes, screw them. Uh, I'll take care of it. Yeah. Well, screw the daughters of the American Revolution anyway. Not in the first place. But, you know. Yeah. No uh, offense. But, she also. You know, offense. Yeah. She also speaks out against discrimination. Or, yeah. Against discrimination yeah. against Japanese Americans after Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Basically saying, like, it's not their Big fault, deal. y'all. Because it was yeah. bad out there. And she opposes franklin's order for putting japanese americans in internment camps again one of the only yeah, people in his administration to do so that's pretty big yeah wife is the one i mean 
that's po- that's probably how you should know it's not a good choice. But again, yeah. they weren't really like on those kinds of relationship terms. So maybe he was able to have some distance from that. <laughs> Who knows? Right, right. But it's probably how you should know. Like, that's not a good decision. If literally the person who's basically your right hand is like, you should that's do bad, that. And I'm going to say that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, so, so now we're starting to get into World War II. Um, and some of the work she does during World War II, uh, she initially wanted to go and work with the Red Cross. Mm-hmm. And then the administration had to be like, you can't do that. Because <laughs> uh, if you get you. captured, that's really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the she, bad move. <laughs> she um, focuses on pushing more to allow European refugees into the U.S., especially those from groups being tar- targeted by Nazis. Um, Franklin wow, ends up, if only we had followed that one, too. Good yeah. Lord. Uh, Franklin ends up cracking down more on immigration, but she, like, will be like, okay, fine, but you are going to let this group through. And he's like, okay, there's, you get yeah. this group of people. And then later she's like, let's try again. Like, she she keeps right. pushing to get small How about twice as many this time? Through, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. She, she sticks on that. Um, before the war even starts, she starts encouraging women to train in trades to be prepared for factory work because she sees that that's where it's going. Yeah. Um, she's in, like, propaganda films for women about, like, what to do on the home front while men are overseas, about, like, working and childcare and stuff like that. Um, she tours the British front lines to boost morale. Um, she's also a huge supporter of the Tuskegee, Tuskegee Airmen. Um, she made her focus during the war the inclusion of women and black men in the war effort. Like, that was what she was pushing for. Yep. Um, she, like, flew with one of the Tuskegee Airmen right. to, like, oh, prove yeah. to people that he was um, a competent pilot and, you right. know what I mean? Like, And also, I, as a woman, am not going to literally fall to bits from being, you know, in a plane. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> like, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so th- that was those were her big s- focuses during the war. Again, I'm skipping a lot. A lot to focus on. Yeah, I'm skipping a lot, but that's, that's most of the work that she did. Um, so... Shortly after the war is ended or is wrapping up, um, Franklin dies on April 12th, 1945. He has a cerebral hemorrhage um, while in their home in Georgia. And then, okay, so this this sucks. This is this is how Eleanor finds out about his longtime mistress, right? Um Eleanor learns that, I'm just going to read this quote. Eleanor later learned that her husband's mistress, Lucy Mercer, uh, now named Rutherford, had been with him when he died. Uh, A a discovery made more bitter by learning that her daughter, Anna, had also been aware of the ongoing relationship between the president and Rutherford. It was Anna who told her that Franklin had been with Rutherford when he died in addition, she told her that Franklin had continued the relationship for decades and people surrounding him had hidden the information from his wife. That's she how played she out finds her out. dad so fast. Yeah. She played out her dad so fast. She was like, uh, also, just so you know. He'd been doing it the whole time. The whole time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Although I feel like Eleanor probably knew a little bit. Oh, I'm sure she suspected that he was with someone. I would be very offended if she was with him on his deathbed. Yeah. I feel like that's a little bit yeah. too far. Yeah. Um, 
And the fact that the daughter knew, I think, is probably more like, seriously, you couldn't have even had enough tact to, like, hide it from her? Yeah. Well, (laughs) and Eleanor and Anna had had a falling out earlier, too, like, around the time of all that stuff with um, Theodore Roosevelt Jr., like, as part of that whole family blow up um they were a little more distant and so i think that kind of fed into that whole dynamic also like it's on him to like not let their kids know that kind of stuff yeah yeah come on um this last part i'm gonna skip kind of again just hit key points she does a ton of work after franklin dies like she does not stop she takes her position as a former first lady very seriously. Mm-hmm. She still is very involved in the party and she keeps her political work going. Um, so I'm just going to kind of try and hit the highlights of some of the stuff she does after he dies. Yeah. Um, so in December of 1945, President Truman appoints Eleanor as a delegate to the United Nations General Assembly, which is huge. Yeah. The new United Nations, he puts her as a delegate, right? Um, she is the first chairperson of the UN's Commission on Human Rights, and she also helps to draft the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. The yeah. Universal Declaration of Human Rights. A yeah. hugely important document. Yes. Still. A still forget, hu- but, yeah, know. but it's still like a... a it, what In some of the stuff I was they reading, it was referred it. to as like the Magna Carta of human rights, and it is. It is. She worked on drafting it. Uh, She's also a part of the UN's agency that's focused on food and nutrition. Um, And she holds most of these positions with and and works with the UN well into the mid 50s. Um, So from when she's appointed for another, you know, 10 or so years, she she works very closely with the UN as well as continuing her work for women's rights and for unions unions and yeah. Um, in 1961, she chairs Kennedy's Presidential Commission on the Status of Women. Again, right. very famously chairs his um, Committee on the Status Commission of the Status on Women. And um, we're going to talk about her death in a second, but she actually dies like like a a, a month or something after, before they re- release their final statement, like their their findings. You know what I mean? So oh, she yeah. worked on that commission up until her death. Right, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right. So in April of 1960, she's hit by a car in New York City. I don't know how severe the accident is, but, you know, she has to go to the hospital because of it. And because of it, she's diagnosed with a plastic anemia. They must have, like, found it while checking her out or something. Yeah. Um, And then in 1962, she's given steroids to help with that. But they activate a dormant case of tuberculosis in her bone marrow. Ooh. Isn't that yeah. wild? Harsh. The, and bizarre. What? That's so weird. Yeah. Um, and she dies of cardiac failure related to the TB on November 7th, 1962 at the age of 78. Um, and she's interred next to her husband in the Rose Garden of the Roosevelt family home. But like, what a wild way to go. It's a wild turn go. of events. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, of course, posthumously, she was given a million awards. Oh, yeah. Um, she and a was, million awards were like named after her and yeah. everything's named after her. And she's been, she's like, 
throughout her lifetime and afterward was like the most respected woman in America on every one of those kind of polls and oh, is yeah. still She's revered very highly revered as yeah. like <laughs> one of the best women of all time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if that was a title you could give to a person, many people would still give it to Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. She's very um ahead of her time. Absolutely she was. Like I never wanna I never wanna say that like a white woman who inherently had a lot of power was somehow doing more or better work than the people who were like actively in those more intersectional communities yeah but i will say she did such work that was again ahead of her time on a very big and public scale Mm -hmm. in a way that allowed her to like pull other women up she took her allyship for those communities seriously she very much did and and in turn i think that that made a lot of other white women not all but a lot of other white women say you know if this is something she believes in i should take a closer look at it and Mm -hmm. she changed i'm sure a lot of minds that really needed to be changed yeah so Um, we can't discredit her for for that right i didn't i didn't mention it a ton but like obviously during the presidency a lot of um franklin's political allies and enemies hated her right like just thought she was too much she was too vocal she was too active but i also read that she's kind of the one that's responsible for the shift from um, black men voting Republican to Democrat because of well, the work sense. that she did for yeah. for speaking out for black men in the South. And the, not just no one else like, was was speaking up for them in yeah. in Washington, and, and so they started like voting up. Sorry, I was just gonna say not just like speaking up for their rights, but also actively working on the things that kept them yeah. financially stable. Yeah. So she was really doing the work just mm-hmm. to not just say, like, oh, these people deserve rights. Like, she was actually trying to make sure that She was trying them. to, like, change the New Deal programs and, uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly. But, yeah, so we talk a lot about how there was there are moments in history where, like, the Republican Party's platform shifted and the Democratic Party's and platform shifted. And they completely yeah. switched. And she's a big part of that. In terms of well, she's a big part of sustaining it. Yes, I would say. but in terms of like actually um, shifting the black vote, she yeah. is a huge, hugely responsible for that. Like a lot of people like credit her work to as the reason they voted Democrat instead of Republican, right? right, right. Which I just thought was super interesting too. She's like the 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 impact lady. she left on the party is really interesting to me. Yes, it is. It really is. I sometimes wish they'd look back on it a little. Bit <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Are we still doing those things we found valuable? Yeah. The answer is no. But you know, I just think she's uh, a fascinating, <laughs> fascinating woman, and I know she's not she without is. flaws, right? Like she uh, had some anti-Semitic sem- sentiments, um, which sort of shifted once World War II happened, right? Like she started which to be like, when you would hope it would shift. Yeah, if it's yeah. Going um, to. And and I am sure there were limits to her allyship, right? Like, but certainly, but again, white woman, uh, born into privilege, who you know had a lot of influence. Mm-hmm. I just, I just find it very impressive for a woman of her position to make the decisions that she made. And, and our, and the off, the office of the first lady 
would not exist as it is today without her. We would not have any of the programs that the women after her have implemented without her decision to be politically active. Every first lady after her then had to step up to the plate, like had to decide that they were not just going to be a president's wife. Like they had to also be political, like politically active. And second ladies too. I mean, a little bit less. Yes. A little less, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't hear from the vice president's spouse quite as much. Mm-hmm. But it just but, com- um, it completely changed the expectation, right. Right? right? Like, no longer were you just expected to be the wife of the president. You were supposed to be another political powerhouse, basically. Right. Which I know is a lot of pressure, but well, like... But, but, you know... If you're if, if you've got that high on the on the scale, like yeah, I hate to keep saying that because I because I hate that there have only ever been wives of presidents. But right, that's another topic for another time. Mm-hmm. But they sway so much yes. of the vote in this country yes. because oh, Jill Biden women... is a large a large reason I mm-hmm. felt okay voting for Joe Biden because 100%. of her work in education. It's, her work in education is hugely important to me. Because because the fact that it has been all women, they have this unique experience of like what is important to other women and I mean, I guess that's not unique, but like they they have that experience of what is important to other women and the female vote in this country is a very big deal yes. still in terms of the amount of power they can give you or take away yes so it's a big responsibility Mm -hmm. now to be the first lady whereas before eleanor really wasn't yeah so it's it's a very big responsibility i mean hello we saw that in a lot of ways in the last part yeah what like when it goes wrong you know like yeah seeing when it goes wrong Mm -hmm. but (laughs) it is it's a big responsibility so yeah she was um a very interesting and very smart woman yeah yeah, that yeah. was a good one. Thanks. I just am fascinated by her. I've wanted to do on her on her for a while. Uh, that was such a good conversation. I like forgot we were recording just now. It's like, yeah, what? she's just fun to talk about, I think. Yeah, she is. She's just one of those people. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So you've kind of given us a little bit of a segue into Pride Month. Have. Yeah. That's Didn't really mean cool. to. So... I just sort of decided. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's our last month of May, which means our next couple episodes are going to be Pride episodes or Pride adjacent episodes. I mean, we're not going to be like talking about Pride specifically. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, So we, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a definite idea. I have a little bit of an idea, but I got to figure out if it's going to work. So if anybody else has suggestions. Yeah, we've talked, we've talked, um, let's see, we did Stonewall we did the No Homo Sapiens where we talked about many probably queer yep. historical figures. We've talked about um, uh, Harvey Milk. And who right. who did you do last year? Oh, I can't remember. Alan Hart. Is that right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And so, you know, if you have any suggestions for, um, oh, the Stonewall rights. Did I say that? Yeah, you did. Okay. Um, yeah. So if you have any <laughs> suggestions for, for topics along that line, we would love them. Um, yeah, we know that any... there are so many interesting queer histories that are outside of the public yes. eye that we would love to learn more I about. I think right now we're, I think kind of what we've both been thinking about are more like kind of eras and events, which are a little bit hard to fit into an episode. So, you know, we might try that, but we're also always interested in learning about like 
figures of the movement that mm-hmm. maybe don't get as much attention. Um, so if anybody has suggestions for anything, you know, yeah. people or you know, places, things, etc. Um, nouns. <laughs> please let us any know. any noun suggestions? <laughs> Do you have any nouns? Um, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a tweet at rttpod. Um, we're also on Facebook if you want to look for us there. You know, Facebook, whatever. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Meta. Um, and we would love it if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Woohoo! Pride Month, here we come. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you in Pride Month. Uh, so until next time. Remember that time.